got back on Wednesday night. Um, the uh, trip back was, um, well, we didn't wait around anywhere, really. We uh, kind of ran from one plane to another and... Um, Abu Dhabi Airport was like I have never seen it before. I've been there quite a few times and I have never seen it like that. It was absolutely manic. We still caught our plane though. It was, uh, I was quite impressed. Um, it was a really good uh, couple of weeks, well, 11 days or so I was away. Um, nine days in Kenya, um, working very hard. I think each of the days of the two weekends I was there, I think I preached a couple of times or maybe... Was there a day three times? I can't remember now. There was, it's a couple of, ti- couple of times each day on the two weekends and uh, in the week between um, teaching at East Africa School of Mission. So I was busy. Um, oh, and the, the amazing thing was I actually got eight hours of sleep every night for nine days in a row. I can't remember the last time I had nine days in a row of eight hours plus sleep every night. It was just like, wow. It's just amazing how you can work really hard and sleep really well. It was just awesome. I just haven't done that for a while, and so that was really, really great. Um, it was really great to be back in a place we've, uh, we've lived, we've felt comfortable. We had old friends, and uh, we spent a bit of time catching up with old friends. I worked hard. Angela had a holiday um, and caught up with a lot of old friends. And uh, I mean, just as a mark, I guess, an indication of how comfortable we got in those nine days back where we had felt comfortable for a long time. Angela was saying to me at Kasumu Airport, we were just getting ready to get our plane to Nairobi and then out of the country. uh, Time was come to an end and I was feeling like I was having to actually drag her onto the plane because she didn't want to leave. Um, But she told me, we're we're sitting in the airport, oh, when we came into the airport, I saw these white people and um, I thought how strange they looked. And uh, and then she said, oh, and then she thought, oh, wait, hang on, Um, I'm, I'm white, aren't I? And uh, it's just an indication of how comfortable we were in a place amongst old friends and, and doing what, uh, um, what we really felt God has been calling us to do over a period of time. Everybody commented about how she was twice as tall as when she was last there and bumped into a few old friends that had done the same trick. I've been thinking over the last couple of weeks about uh, the topic of following Jesus and uh, uh, what that really means and what we do and all those kinds of thoughts and you know, my thoughts have gone lots of different places in that time and um, God has challenged me with a few things um, about following Jesus and I just want to say at this point you know, what I, I say to you this morning I don't, I don't come to you as someone who's got everything I'm about to say all lined up in a neat row um, I'm coming to you as one beggar to another with a few tips on where to find a good meal. And um, God has challenged me quite significantly on a, f- a few of these things I'm going to say this morning and uh, I've got some things to work on here. As I was thinking about following Jesus, I, I began to think about what, who is it we're following and, and what is it we're following and uh, what does that mean we do? And... Uh, a passage that came to mind was, uh, was a passage in Philippians 2, which uh, a lot of people I, I know will have read, will know. It came to my mind not because um, of why it often comes to mind, but because of what Paul says in verses 4 and 5 of Philippians chapter 2. And he's talking to the church and says, Each of you 
should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of, of Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to a very famous passage, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of, ser- of a servant, being made in human likeness, and so on he goes. But the, the verses that really really stood out for me that, that recalled my mind to this passage was uh, Paul's request to the church to um, consider the needs of others and to be like Christ Jesus. And I thought, well, you know, if you're, you're following Jesus, really that's, that's pretty important, isn't it? And we often talk about, you know, the, the journey and over time we become more like Jesus and these are words that are that are thrown out and certainly the words I've thrown out <laughs> becoming more and more like Jesus over time and uh, I, I began to think about wow that's actually that's pretty significant because you know uh, as we know the Bible teaches he, he came to earth for a very specific purpose to, to save us and to, to give us an opportunity to have a relationship with God and if he hadn't come we wouldn't have that, that opportunity and you know I, I suppose there were there were ways of doing it. He, he could have, I mean, just like God could have when you know, he, he flooded the earth with Noah, he could have done it differently. He could have just thrown it out and started again and recreated. And God always has options. God is God. He can, he can do this or he can do that. He's, he's not as limited as we are. And I'm, I'm sure there are other ways he could have, could have done what he wanted to achieve, but he did it this way. He sent Jesus, and uh, Jesus came and died. And uh, to put it mildly, I guess that hurt. Yeah, I guess that hurt. Um, God was wounded, and uh, you know that's a, that's a thought that uh, has freaked people out over the centuries. How can how can God be wounded? How can He suffer? And yet He did. And it's just it's just a mind blowing thing. But what grabbed me? about this passage was not only is Paul saying be like Jesus be like Jesus put the needs of others first but in actually doing what he did he put our needs in the equation you see it wasn't just God saying how am I going to fix this problem you know humanity are really they've really messed up and I've got to do something how am I going to fix this problem that wasn't just his thinking his thinking was well what what are humanity's needs here what what are your needs? What are my needs? How am I going to put them in the equation? And how are they important in how I fix this problem? Have you ever thought about that? It's not just God saying, okay, fix. It's, it's God saying, well, your needs and your needs and, and your needs and, and your needs are, are all really important in this and I'm not going to just compromise them in some fix, you know, some easy fix. I'm going to do this in a way that your needs are actually paramount in this. They're actually really important in the way I fix this problem. And, uh, oh, look, if your mind doesn't work like mine, you're probably going, what is this guy talking about, really? But uh, my mind goes funny places sometimes. But God was so concerned for my needs. God was so concerned that the, the way he fixed this problem was going to have my needs in the equation. And so Paul can say, be like Jesus, who put the needs of others first. Uh, 
I'm going to do a little bit of a tour. I'm going to pick up a, a few passages in the Gospels um, in various places, looking at some things that Jesus did. And I want to, I want to just paint a picture, I guess. So you know, I'll, I'll go to one passage and I'll paint a bit of the picture here and I'll go to another passage and paint another bit of the picture here. So bear with me. This is not going to be linear. This is not going to be propositional. It's going to be a bit global, okay? Just tipping you off there to the way I'm going to be, way I'm going to be talking here. I want us to go to Mark chapter 6. And there's an interesting little scene there in Mark chapter 6. Basically, starting from verse 30, Jesus is buggered. His disciples are, are stuffed. Uh, they've been working really, really hard. And they're sick of it. They're sick, they're sick of the crowds. Let me just read for you Mark chapter 6 from verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they'd done and taught. So they've been, they've been off. They've been on mission and they've been doing some amazing things. Then verse 31, because so many people were coming and going, they didn't even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. And it, it goes on and, and tells how he ended up miraculously feeding thousands of people with a, a few loaves and a few fish. But what gets me about this story, and by Jesus didn't always do this. There were times Jesus successfully escaped. No one knew where he was. Even his disciples had trouble finding him a couple of times. And so he made a habit of, of getting away, getting by himself, recharging, talking to God and all that stuff. But on this occasion, he tried it and it didn't work. And there's a word in there that really jumped up and grabbed me. The word is, word is compassion. And reason it jumped up and grabbed me because sometimes when I'm tired, sometimes when I, I've been working really hard and I just want to, I'm, I'm, I'm more of an introvert, you know, than an extrovert. And so if I've been spending a lot of time with people, particularly, okay, people are great, but, you know, pff, not 24-7, not please. Okay, that's, that's me, all right? And uh, so I want to get away. I want to... I, I want to just disconnect for a minute and, and, and sort of center myself and make sure I'm still on track and, and, and talk with God. And, you know, if someone interrupts me in that, compassion is not the first thing that I feel often. Yeah? And this challenged me. And I, I know this, is, this, this wasn't the story 100% of the time. As I said, Jesus did successfully disconnect sometimes. Yeah? But this time... He decided, no, no, actually these people really, really need me. And again, it's a case of putting their needs into the equation. And yeah, while there were times he made sure he disappeared, this time no. Compassion ruled what he did. Compassion ruled what he said. And I found that really challenging. How do you, I thought to myself, how do I have compassion when the last thing I want is another person. Um, if you're not an introvert, you might not understand this. Okay? If you're an extrovert, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. You just love 
having people around all the time, but that's not me, okay? And there are times when the last thing I want is another person, at least. Well, maybe, you know, another person, as long as they shut up and just, you know, lend their presence and that's great, you know, that's, I, I like that. Someone who can just shut up and sit with me and, and be company and that's wonderful. Okay, just don't talk to me, all right? And... But when people interrupt that and they want me to give out again, they want me to they input again, I'm going, mm, it's not compassion that I'm feeling. And so as I, as I contemplated Jesus' compassion for these people, I was again challenged to be like Jesus and to get into a place where I can just I don't know, maybe it takes a deep breath, but then feel compassion. And, uh, um, and there'll be another time for disconnecting. There'll be another time for no one being present so I can, just, I can just chill as I need to. Let's go to Matthew chapter 15. See, it wasn't propositional, was it? I didn't come to some conclusion. Just painting the picture. Matthew chapter 15, from the beginning of the chapter. Then some Pharisees and some teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem. Uh oh, okay, the heavies are coming down with the official stuff now. Yeah. And they asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? You, can, you, you, know, you know what's happened here. There's been a, there's been a committee meeting um, in Jerusalem. And they're discussing Jesus and uh, is he a prophet from God? And, and uh, you know, you know there's already been some discussion. Nicodemus has already, by this time, he's been to see Jesus and told him, well, we know you're from God because no one could do the things you do um, if you weren't from God. You, you must be from God. But the discussion has gone on. Well, he's from God, but hang on, hang on, hang on. He, he, he doesn't? See the questions. Why do you break the traditions of the elders? Really, would someone... Who is from God break the traditions of the elders? Yeah, that's, that's a serious question to, to, they asked. They don't wash their hands before they eat. And, and by the way, this wasn't just a quick, you know, with a bit of hand sanitizer, okay? This ritual washing was fairly significant. You know, the story of Jesus at Cana in Galilee when he turns water into wine, those big stone jars he, he told them to pour water in. That was what that was, they were used for washing their hands before they eat, you know, and this washing was a big deal, right? It was, and it had to be done a certain way. Anyway, verse 3, Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? Ooh. Okay, the line is drawn, isn't it? He answers a question with a question Why do you break the tradition? He says, Why do you break the command of God? Ooh. Okay, we've, uh, we've squared off now. Um, we are toe-to-toe, we are nose-to-nose, and we're ready to swing punches. Yeah, That wasn't an excuse, it wasn't a reason. It, well, that, was, that was bang, okay? That was back. For God said, honour your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. And this, these are Pharisees from Jerusalem, okay? Pharisees at this time, they, one thing we can say for the Pharisees is they really knew their Bible, right? Often a Pharisee 
would, uh, he would be an apprentice or sit, un- sit at the feet of, of another more senior Pharisee for some, maybe 20 years sometimes. You know, Paul was a, was a disciple of Gamaliel, the, the scriptures tell us, and Paul himself tells us in one of his letters. It was probably a, an apprenticeship period that lasted maybe 20 years. The Pharisees could recite chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter of the scriptures to you. They knew Torah from beginning to end. They could cite it. Chapter, well, no, chapter and verses. They could just cite it, every darn word. And here's Jesus quoting the commands to them. I mean, like, talk about teaching grandma to suck eggs. These guys knew these commands. But you say, Jesus goes on in verse 5, that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received for me as a gift devoted to God, he is not to honour his father with it. So what was going on? was that uh, there was a command in, in the law, and it's in uh, the commandment, honour your father and mother. You know, it's a, everybody knows that one. It's uh, one, of the, one of the big ten. And, uh, but what some of the religious leaders in Jesus' time were doing was that actually all my possessions are dedicated to God. Yeah? I'm giving it all over to God. Uh, and by the way, that means I can't help my mother and father over here because it's dedicated to God. You see? Now, maybe I've got cynical in my, my middle age, but that sounds like a bit of a furphy to me. Okay? That sounds like a way to, oh, I honour my father and mother. I just don't have anything I can help them with because all I had is actually dedicated to God. It's over here. I can't help my mother and the father with it because. Oh, it's, I'm just not free to. It's, it's dedicated to God. God hasn't told me to, to spend that on my mother and father. I, I mean, okay, I'm, I'm embellishing a little bit, yeah? But this is the kind of thing that's going on, and, and Jesus pulls them up on it. And he says to them in verse 6, Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites! Ooh. Bang! Yeah? And, you know, as we, we follow Jesus, I'm not saying we should pick a fight with, with pastors, elders, you know, religious leaders. That's not, that's not, what, I'm, that's not what I think. This is not the example that, uh, that Jesus is setting us here. But the example he is setting us, I think, is faithfulness to the word of God and don't let our traditions get in the way of that, you see. There's nothing wrong with traditions. We've, we've got traditions. Did you know that? We, did you notice our order of service is remarkably similar each week? That, did you notice we start singing songs and then, oh, that sometimes there's a ministry time, sometimes that comes at the end of the service and uh, there's some notices and then there's, uh, oh, meet and greet, yes, and there's a communion talk, someone gets up to preach. Do you know, it doesn't change much, does it? It sounds a bit like a tradition to me, yeah? That's, there's no, nothing wrong with that, that's great. Everybody knows what's coming next. I knew when to put the microphone on. You know, I, when Gary got up to talk about giving, I knew, oops, better get this on. You know, I'm, I'm next. That's great. Traditions are really handy for that. But when they get in the way of our faithfulness to God's word, oh, we've got a problem. And again, I was a little bit, I was a little bit challenged with that because I, you know, I like, I've, got my, I've got my routines. I've got my traditions. Oh, they're things I like to do. And uh, I'm not going to share with you all of them, or actually any of them. 
<laughs> Especially not the ones God challenged me on. But it's about keeping the main thing the main thing, isn't it? And uh, following Jesus means focusing on the main thing. And uh, sometimes following G- we can think we can kid ourselves we're we're following Jesus, and actually what we're doing is we're following our own traditions. And uh, many of those traditions have had a really good foundation, and they've got a really good reason. And some of them even still have a really good reason. Yeah, and that's good. That's great. Nothing wrong with that. But don't let them get in the way. So, you know, there's a little bit of picture painted here, a little bit of picture painted there, a little bit here. And if one of these, one of these little parts of the picture reaches out and grabs you, just go with that, okay? Um, because as my thoughts wandered here and there, God challenged me on a number of things. And uh, I'd just like to share some of those things with you. So don't let... Follow Jesus. Don't follow your traditions. Use traditions to follow Jesus, yeah? But don't, don't use an apparent following of Jesus to follow your traditions. See, that's, that's the wrong way around. Use traditions rather to follow Jesus. Make sure the main thing is the main thing. There's another little cameo we get in John chapter 13. Another little thing that Jesus did where he showed us an example. It's a funny, funny story in one sense, and I never used to understand it, but I've, I've learned a few things over the years. And the thing that strikes me about this, in John chapter 13, by the way, this is where Jesus and his disciples, the night before Jesus died, have been uh, having a long chat, and now um, Jesus washes their feet. And... Um, I've heard lots of messages about Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Um, But what really strikes me about this passage in the first few verses, I'll just read from the beginning of John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover feast and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. You know what? really strikes me about this is in verse 4 it said Jesus knew that God had given him all power all authority God he he was I guess Jesus knew he was he knew who he was yeah he knew he had all power he knew he had all authority and what did he do with this all power and all authority what what did he do with it he washed his disciples feet and the first time I noticed that it took me quite a while to actually read the rest of the story because it was one of those moments, it was some time ago now, but it was one of those moments where I, it was just one of those, you know, pop, you know, it's the sound of my mind blowing. He had all power and authority. Verse 4, it says, no, verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and he'd come from God and he was going to God. 
I mean, what more secure place can you be? Everything's under your power. You've come from God, you're going to God. Wow. So what does he do? Washes his disciples' feet. See, there's security for you, you see. It was a place of real security that Jesus was, was operating from here. You see, this job, you know, why did, I mean, in the first place, why did, why did Jesus have to do it? You know, you've got Jesus and his 12 disciples. Um, they've got some food from somewhere. They're sitting down to eat. But nobody's done the foot washing thing, you see, because dusty roads, you know, didn't have bitumen in those days. Dusty roads shared by animals. Andrew and I have seen a few of those in the last couple of weeks. You know what's on those dusty roads shared by animals, don't you? Got to watch where you put your feet. Yeah. And of course, if you're on dusty roads shared with animals and you've got to watch where you put your feet and you're doing what Angela was doing most of the time we're in Kenya and walking around in a pair of thongs, or in the case of these guys walking around in some open sandals, you've especially got to watch where you put your feet. All right? And if you're not watching carefully enough, or even if you are watching carefully enough, your feet are disgusting. Yeah, really disgusting. And there you are, reclined at the table. You know, he's got that, they used to, I'm not going to lie down here. It's just, you, you'll never see me if I get down there. But. So imagine, actually I will get down here. I mean, it's just demonstration is really worth it. So there you are at the table. Yeah. So the next bloke's here. Next bloke's there, next bloke's here. So this bloke here, where do you think his feet are? You get the picture, eh? It's really important these feet are washed. But the problem on this occasion, a bit of a problem because the foot washing, was because it was a pretty disgusting job, was always done by the lowest ranked person. And if there was some person, some servant or slave or someone whose job it was to do that, then that no problem, they'd do that. But the problem on this occasion is there was no one there whose job it was. And if someone was going to get up and do this, they were just acknowledging that it was their job. And so you can imagine this crowd, this, these, these 12, you know, this, I mean, we've got record of them asking Jesus, some of them asking Jesus if that one considered their right and one at their left. They were not interested in the lowest job, okay? They were interested in the top two jobs. Nobody wanted to get out the towel. Nobody wanted to get out the water. Nobody wanted to wash those disgusting feet. And I, I can imagine Jesus sitting there. He knew his feet weren't washed. And he could smell that the other guys hadn't washed their feet either. And he's thinking, okay, who's going to do this? Who's going to do it? Who's going to admit that they're the lowest rank around here? None of the disciples were willing, were they? No, I'm not. I'm not. It's not my job. Maybe Bartholomew. Bartholomew over there is thinking, oh, I reckon it's Simon's job. Yeah. Simon's thinking, well, I suppose it's not Peter, but maybe it's Matthew's job. You know, he used to be a tax collector after all. And Jesus gets up and does it. Yeah. Jesus gets up and does it. But you see, he does it from such a place of security, doesn't he? All things have been put under his power. He knows he's come from God. He knows he's going to God. And with that security, with that 
confidence about who he is, where he's from and where he's going, he can get the water out. He can get the towel out. He can get down and wash those feet. You hear what I'm saying here? Sometimes serving, doing the stuff that no one wants to do, is actually a bit easier if you really know where you're from, where you're going, and what authority you've got, yeah? Who you are. Have a think about that. Because when I first noticed verse 3 some time ago, and it took me quite a while to get through the rest of the chapter, that's, that's what blew my mind, yeah? We can, we can be like Jesus a lot more when we just know who we are, where we're from, and where we're going. And I'm, ta- I'm, not, I'm talking about spiritually here, okay? Who we are. Oh, read, read Ephesians or something, okay? It will tell you where, where you're from and where, you, where you're going. It will tell you who you are. Yeah, and if you if you can just get in get into your head, get into your being, get into the way that you live, that where you're from, where you're going, and who you are. Serving no longer is such a such a problem. Yeah, think on that. Just toss that around for a little while, see where it goes. You know we. Um, I've often wondered, as Jesus sat there smelling feet and deciding what he was going to do about it, whether he, he had in his mind just those 12 that were in the room with him or whether he had in mind a few million other followers over the centuries that would be, that would be needing this lesson. Now, I, in one sense, we, we Aussies have less of a problem with this than some other cultures, believe it or not, and you know we have a problem with it. <laughs> We're pretty egalitarian, really. You know, tall poppy syndrome and all that. And, and you, you respect somebody because of what they do and what they say, not because of the title they carry. Okay? Um, someone puts the t- you know, title Reverend Doctor on the front of their name. And, and there, are, there are some people in this room who can do that. Yeah? You don't, you don't bow down and worship them just because they put a title on the front of their name, do you? That's not what we Aussies do. We might res- very, very highly respect that person because of what they say and what they do, not because they somehow have the title on the front of their name. Yeah? That's Australians. We're, we're very, very egalitarian. So in one sense, you know, the lowest person maybe can just rock up to the, the highest person and say g'day and, and chat about, the footy over a barbecue and that's okay whereas in some cultures that's not going to happen okay the lowest person can't get near the highest person cultures like that and this i I just imagine how this passage must be so even more mind-blowing in a culture like that and i've had cause to think because i've worked in i've worked in a couple of cultures like that and you how does how does the how does the big man get on his knees with a towel and a bowl of water. That is, that's challenging teaching in some parts of the world. Really, really challenging. I mean, for us, it's just distaste, and I'd rather someone else did the, na- the nasty job. But this, this example that Jesus sets in some parts of the world is more than just be willing to do the nasty job. It's how does the bishop get on his knees and wash the feet of somebody who sort of is in the congregation of one of the pastors that he's mentoring. You know? 
big deal. And I guess what I have to say about that is that the culture in which Jesus lived in Palestine 2,000 years ago was a good deal more hierarchical than us Aussies. Yeah? It was a little bit like that. And he was making a big statement, a really, really big statement. I want to just go to Luke chapter 17 for a, just to, to finish off for a few minutes. There's another, another little passage there that, that sprung to my mind as I was contemplating following Jesus. Because as I began to think about putting the needs of others first, as Jesus did in coming to earth, as he did when he wanted to escape with his disciples in Mark chapter 6 and he found a crowd there and he had compassion, he put their needs first. Or in Matthew chapter 15 when he made sure that we understood that our, our dedication to follow Jesus and our, our faithfulness to the word of God is actually more important than our traditions, not the other way around. Um, and as I thought about John chapter 13 and him washing his disciples' feet, I, I began to think about, you know, look, if I did all these things that Jesus did and I did them well, I'd, I'd feel pretty good. You know, I'd, I'm, I'm, I'm getting somewhere here, you know. If I can do what Jesus did, those things... I'd be, I'd be, I'd be proud of myself. Yeah, I'm getting somewhere here. I'm getting close to God now. You know, just about over the line, just about over the bar. And then, then the Holy Spirit reminded me of another passage. Luke chapter seventeen, verse seven. Suppose this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, or well, those who were listening to him teach. Suppose one of you had a servant ploughing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now, sit down and eat? Would he not rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, wait on me while I eat and drink, and after that you can eat and drink? Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you've done everything you were told to do, should say, we're unworthy servants. We've done our duty. And... Again, I kind of sat back and went, okay. Because, you see, the answer to the questions that Jesus asked is, is in its original context, really obvious. Yeah, Would he say to the servant when he comes in, come along now and sit down to eat? No. Yeah, All his hearers go, no way. Of course he wouldn't. He'd get the servant to keep working. Yeah, Prepare my food. The, the the master of the house, and he's got a slave or a servant in this culture working in the house. This is an employee at best, okay? He's been, the guy's been working in the field. Now Now, master wants his meal. Guess who keeps working huh? to make sure the master is comfortable and eats? No, the servant's not going to sit down and eat yet. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? In that culture, no way. All right? That's his job. He's he's just doing what he's supposed to do. He's not doing anything out of the ordinary. He's just doing... If he doesn't do it, he'd probably get fired or worse, okay, if he's a slave. So the answer is no, he wouldn't thank him. He's just doing his job. That's what he's supposed to do. Um, And I always like to thank people. I find that uh, even when uh, they're just doing their job, if you thank them, you get on much better with, with them and... 
they'll keep doing their job even better. And, you know, especially in a restaurant or something, you'll probably get even better service if you're nice to them. I, I just find that's something that works. But the answer to the question is here. No, he wouldn't. The guy's just doing his job. And what Jesus is saying to his disciples here is, you know, when you follow me, when you put the needs of others first, when you, when you have compassion, when you do the job that no one else wants to do, even though you don't think it's your job, it's a bit beneath you, yeah, you're, you're, doing, you're just doing what you're supposed to do. Yeah. And I get, that's not, not supposed to be just a kick in the guts, hey, don't, don't feel pleased with yourself. But it is a warning against getting a bit puffed up about it. It's a warning against going too far with a thought I was just telling you about. I was thinking, gee, I'd feel pretty good about myself if I was doing all those things. It's a warning just not to go too far with that. yeah. Because if you go too far with that, it can lead places where you've actually taken six steps backwards. <laughs> and again, this was something very challenging to me as I, as I thought through the whole process of following Jesus. Now, this kind of picture, which is kind of nearly, nearly finished here now, um, use your imagination, you know. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not sure there's anyone here that really wants to get their head around all of that, who wants to see all the picture. Often, if, if you're looking at a picture on the wall, or you're in an art gallery or something, I, especially one of those great big ones, I don't sit there and look at every detail on the picture. Something catches my eye in it. Or if it's a, if it's a picture that's got people in it, you know, one of the people in the picture is going to catch my eye and I'll start thinking about, oh, I wonder what that person is thinking. Why did the artist paint them that way? And I'm hoping this morning, as I've kind of shared a little bit of the thinking I've done in the last couple of weeks on the subject of following Jesus and what that means, that something in this picture has, has caught your eye. Yeah? If there's something that's grabbed your attention, go with that and pray about that and ask, ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you about that. Why? Has that grabbed your attention? Uh, if it's, it's, and this, this is not an accident. When someone's rabbiting on at the front of the church and you're asleep for most of it, but something grabs your attention, yeah, and something sticks in your mind, then don't let it go. Don't just say, oh, that was interesting. I got, I got that bit. Ask God why that stuck in your mind. Ask him why he prompted you with that. Why did he bring that to your attention? Why are you thinking about that part of the picture? So uh, I'm going to get down and get out of the way. Um, before that, I'll just pray briefly. Lord Jesus, thank you for being with us here this morning. Thank you for guiding my thoughts in the last couple of weeks. Lord Jesus, I pray that uh, you'll continue to show us the way. You will continue to, to guide us. And as we follow you, Jesus, by your grace, give us the strength. Lead us, Lord Jesus. Show us where you want us to put our feet. Pray in Jesus' name.